0: Ronananian. I am a mechanic you can trust, and I want to stress that. Here in
1: my car, I have to sing.
0: The car doctor i've got no axe to grind i've got no reason to not call it like i see it i really want to help you fix your car and solve your problem i want to help you to understand it. i want to help you to build a better relationship with your repair shop
1: welcome to the radio home of ron and Anian, the car doctor since 1991 this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in.
0: The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, thanks for stopping by the garage today. I'm Ron Anany and The Car Doctor, here at 855-560-9900, here to take your calls and answer your questions. There's information about this radio show out at Cardoctorshow.com. You can also find podcasts there, as well as at TuneIn.com, where you'll also find an affiliate list of some of the affiliates that carry this radio show across this great country of ours. If you want to subscribe to podcast and take The Car Doctor with you on your device, whatever that might be, you can get out to iHeart.com, iTunes.com, and Keep in mind, my email during the week. If you need me, when I'm just fixing cars and not fixing cars on radio, is uh, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. I wonder how or why or what changes the thought process on repairing a car. I I, want to tell you this story. I um, we were working in the shop this week, and a new customer came in, called up, went out of his way to call up, and. Wanted to have a conversation about brakes. He had a pulse in the brakes. They were creating a problem for him, or so he thought it was brakes. He wasn't quite sure. When he stepped on the brake pedal at 45, 50 miles an hour, the steering wheel shook, and it was really quite a distraction, and I learned that once I drove the car. And we had this conversation about what would it cost, and I gave him some numbers, and he said, hey, that sounds great. You know, when can I bring it in? I said, listen, it's brakes. We always try and make a spot for brakes. It's a little quiet this week anyway. February is typically a slow month in auto repair, and um, let's get a look at it brings it in. We uh, we get our paperwork out of the way, and he says, by the way, can you do an oil change? Sure, not a problem. And um, I took note of the fact that when I got in the car, the oil change was overdue by 2,000 miles. So right away, my senses were up, like, am I really dealing with somebody that wants to take care of it, or is this a convenience thing? What are they really looking for? And I went about my business and went out for the road test, hit the highway, 45, 50 miles an hour. Yep, step on the brake, steering wheel. It's like doing the hula, your arm shake. Um, you're, you know, you're, you'd be a great way to lose weight if your arms were kind of flabby. You could just sit there and blah blah, blah, blah and, uh, you know, instead of going to the gym and doing CrossFit. But uh, came back to the shop and put it up in the air, and you know, looked at the rotors, and you could see the black hot spots in the rotors, and you just knew the car needed rotors. The car needed some work. It wasn't terrible. It was an 0708 Honda Pilot with only 130,000 miles. Called the customer back up and said, "Yeah, you know, you're right. It does need brakes. It's a it's a front brake issue to start. I can't tell you." What if anything's going on with the rears because I feel so much shake out of the front? I've got to start somewhere. I'll start here, and um, we'll go from there. The customer that wanted it done then flipped and went the other way. Well, I don't know. Do you really think I need to? And I'm listening to this, and I'm saying, why did he go through the pain of bringing it in and putting him and I both through this only to say no When I reaffirm, that's what's wrong with it, which is what he thought in the first place. But go ahead and do the oil change. Well, I'm thinking to myself, that's okay, we'll do the oil change. It desperately needs that. But why not the brakes? It's a safety thing. This time of year, you hit a nice patch, you step on the brake, the steering wheel is hard to hold in your hand and keep the vehicle straight and true. And I noticed there's two car seats in the back, so there's small children involved. And you say to yourself, why? What makes somebody not trust their mechanic and I think that's really what this radio show is all about as as I sit here each and every week and I talk to you and I wonder why isn't that in a shop somewhere getting repaired and that's the question I always want to hear from you what makes you not trust a mechanic what makes you trust a mechanic and I think that would be an interesting topic maybe we'll explore that this hour or in an upcoming show but I think it's something we've got to address at some point and um, we'll leave it there because uh, mechanic trust is a very, very important thing. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero is the phone number. I'm Ron Any in the car doctor. Let's kick open the garage doors and go to Allen in Crescent City, California, with some questions about spark plugs. Allen, before we start, do you trust your mechanic? Do you have one?
2: <laughs> there are very few mechanics around where I live. Yeah. Um, my problem was leading up. Built on a Fiat just lately.
0: Right. Right, so so for <laughs> you, moment. it's 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 sparsity of mechanic, but I guess I guess you're always looking for one you can trust. I get it. So how can I help you today?
2: Well, I'm putting back online a 1996 98 uh, Fiat commercial. It's uh, a Generac. It's a, it's a 15,000 watt Generac. It's uh, on demand. It's powered by propane. Okay been using regular plugs and it's got 342 hours on it. It's 16 years old. I just put a new timing belt on it. We put it on the run, on the line again and I found the information through you for Pulse Star and so I called and they want about a $100 for four plugs and I went to O'Reilly and this guy is kind of a mechanic and he said, oh, you want to put those in, it'll burn up the coil. So I called back and talked to Angela, and she called me back at a later date and she said, Oh, well, you should use Iridium, I R I D U M, Series I plugs. Okay. And I can put those in. So
0: Now, Angela is from where, Polestar or O'Reilly?
2: No, she's from Polestar.
0: Okay. All right. And so, so she's I'm saying, not She's sure saying, where I want to go here. Is she so saying to not Paul. to use the Polestar plugs? Me? Is is Angela saying not to use the Polestar plugs to use iridium plugs?
2: Well these are made by uh, Polestar. Okay. All right. But they're a different uh, material. Right. And she said therefore and the guy I talked to before her said, Oh yeah, you can use our plugs and that aren't you know, he didn't know one way or the other. Right. So I'm I'm wondering if it's worth the investment or not. I'm, I'm going
0: to say, say no.
2: It's years old. It's got uh, 300 right. hours
0: on it. I'm going to say no, and here's why. Uh, it, this is a generator. Is this used? This isn't used every day, Alan. It can't be. Look how many hours it doesn't have on it, to say no, it that way,
2: it, right? No, once, once a week. It turns on for 20 minutes right. to do a test. Right. And, and then when the, when the power goes out, the commercial power, right. then it comes on and does its thing.
0: Right. Right. I don't think it's worth the investment. First of all, a propane engine... Spark plugs last longer. If this were an automobile, typically spark plugs in a car, um, you know, if if for conversation's sake, if spark plugs in a car in an older vehicle lasted forty thousand miles in propane, it'll be double that because it's a cleaner burning fuel and there's less contaminant and there's you know there's a there's a difference in combustion byproduct. So right, I
2: e- realize that. So that's w- one of my right. my other question to myself is why spend it.
0: Right, so why spend it? I don't, I you know, as good as I think Polestar plugs are, I just don't see the value in it. Now, would I put an iridium plug in it? We had a we had a car in the shop this week, a Mazda CX-9. Uh, the customer brought us his own plugs. He took one look at the job and said, "I'm not doing that." He said, "I've got to find somebody to do it for me." And I, you know, <laughs> listen, it's I understand people get themselves boxed in a corner. I said, "I'll put the plugs in for you," but I always verify, did you bring me the right plugs? He brought me an NGK part number that at first glance appeared to be wrong, and then it turned out that they were right because I called NGK, and it actually, he brought me an Iridium IX spark plug, and I was looking up NGK standard Iridium. Now, the difference between Iridium IX and Iridium, I don't know, probably $10 a piece and, you know, another 30,000 miles, and it's not going to matter because it's already got 132,000 miles on it. What's the difference? Um, You know, I I think we can – we go into analysis paralysis. I think we can overanalyze things to the point that we just confuse ourselves. Um, You know, so if I have to make a vote here, I'm going to tell you to put the standard spark plugs in it, keep a spare set around the house. It sounds like you're a little bit out in a remote area. At least then you can afford to put a spare set on the shelf should you ever need them. And uh, hopefully you don't have enough power failures that it makes a difference in in, in terms of uh, loss – and you'll just yeah, be fine okay. from an economic point of view, strictly economics. Okay, gotcha. not, I want know. a quick
2: comment. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the caller before you said he was going to use AMSOIL in his transmission. Right. Well, I'm going to be, put oil in my Volkswagen uh, new Beetle one of these days pretty soon. I've used AMSOIL since 1973. And I have changed a lot of vehicles, trucks, and so forth, and right. never a complaint. Right, so, right. So anyway, that's my... my well, listen, and I'm a, I,
0: I appreciate I, the thought, I, Alan. I appreciate anyway. the thought, sir. Listen, you take good care, and you have a good rest of the weekend. I'm Ron Any and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. I'm mean, and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. More information available online, cardoctorshow.com. Let's get over to Stan in Minnesota, 1948 tractor. Okie dokie, we'll take a shot. Stan, what's going on? How can I help?
1: Yep, I have a 1948 Ford tractor with a six-volt battery, and it has a positive ground. Okay. How do I hook up my battery charger to it?
0: That's a good question. You know, I'm going to say I don't know. I've never run into that.
1: I, I know I know how to do, but I'm just you know I don't know why it works.
0: Well, because it just flows the other way. I understand why it works. Um, it just it's just your it's which way do you think the ions go? Do they go this way or that way? Um, and, and
1: yeah, but when I hook them up positive to the positive post, why wouldn't that go right to ground and trip my battery charger?
0: Because of, I would have to say because of the polarity and which way it flows. In the vehicle, it's the battery charger doesn't know which way the vehicle is grounded. I guess that's the answer to the question, right? Positive is positive. Which way is it? which way is the state of charge going?
1: Well, to me, electricity goes to the least resistance.
0: Mm, well, I think what you ought to do is no. There's an argument, and I've never seen the the answer where I would agree with it. Um some people think that electricity goes positive to negative and some people think it goes negative to positive positive. and I think it's a case of uh, you know it's a question that's going to go on for a good long time in terms of uh in in terms of the automotive industry I don't I don't think there's any one specific answer to it um is 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 that your question Stan
1: Yeah Okay. That's my question. I just I don't understand it.
0: Well, yeah. What you what you what you want then is an explanation of how a positive ground electrical system works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, well. Basically, I, I don't understand why I don't why why the positive side doesn't go immediately to ground. You're grounding the positive. You know, the positive side is grounded.
0: Well, it depends on how the battery is constructed. Now, that's got to take a positive ground battery. You just can't put any battery in that. Correct.
1: No, you put any battery in there.
0: A positive ground system. Stan, I'm going to have to do some research and get back to you. How's that for an answer?
1: Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I, I don't understand it.
0: All right, I'll tell you what. We're but, have I Harry... know I
1: can, you, but I can put any battery in there, and the same thing.
0: Okay, I'm going, to have Harry, I'm going to have Harry keep your phone number, and we're going to call you back next week. How's that?
1: Sure, that'd be fine. All
0: right, buddy, no problem. You're very welcome. Let's get over and talk to Alan. Let's keep it going in Maine, 1999 Pontiac Grand Dam. Alan, how can I help you?
3: Yeah, hi, Ron. Yes, I am sir. on 99 Grand Am, and what happens is after I run it for a couple of minutes, the ABS light will come on, the traction off light will come on, and the ignition will ding like three times.
0: Okay. All right, yeah, it's warning you It's warning you that there's a default in the system. Your question uh-huh. to me? Your... Well,
3: my question is, is there something that I could try and fix myself, or am I going to need like an expensive tester or something?
0: Do you, do you have a scan tool, Alan?
3: No, I only have a code reader. Yeah. Read if, ABS. if
0: if you don't have anything that's going to read ABS, then there really isn't anything you can do. Um, probably the best thing you could do is see if a repair shop will do what I call an informational scan. It's typically a half hour of the shop's time. So you know if they're if they're seventy five or hundred bucks an hour, it's going to be thirty five to fifty bucks, and they'll come back to you with a printout of test results and they'll scan the ABS traction control module. And, and see what exactly fault code you have with some possible solutions. We do that at the shop all the time. We call it an informational scan. And and the reason being is it's a 99 automobile, it's 15 years old. It's right, it's, it's 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 not something you may want to spend a lot of money on. I can tell right, you correct. this that if it if it happened on startup and you know you hadn't been using the brake and the, it just just happened one day starting it up idling in the driveway My bet is it's an ABS control module, which is common, and that will set without vehicle movement. And if that's what it is, last time I did one, which is a while ago because the cars are now 16 years old, nobody's putting the money in them, it was easily a $1,600 repair.
3: Right. My car's not even worth half of that, right? (laughs) Right.
0: Right. So that's, uh, you know, so I would do an informational scan is how I'd approach that, Alan. And then from, from that perspective, at least you'll have a direction. All right, sir? okay
3: thanks for your help
0: you're very welcome let's do a quick piece of email hey ron you talked about brake hardware recently what are the materials or parts do you recommend changing or replacing rotors and pads i've been unhappy the last few times i've had pads and rotors change the rotors warp soon after i'm going to do it myself on a 98 olds regency i have in the past on other cars do you have any parts brands you would recommend i was thinking ac delco durastop pads and rotors or OEM GM rotors i'm really sick of low quality parts joffrey um you know joffrey it's not well, it's not all the time that it's a low quality part. It's sometimes it's the setup. Sometimes it is it has a lot to do with when you take the rotor off, for example, are you cleaning the hub surface that the rotor sits against? It has to be it has to be clean, it has to be square, so to speak. And when you put the brake rotor on, do you put a little you know, we'll put a little silicon grease around the hub, around the flange, and it helps the rotor to seat. And not stick in any one position. And it does make a difference, especially upon removal when you want to take that rotor back off. And silicon will help hold down the rust content that it doesn't rust as bad. So a little smear on the face and just work it in with your index finger does wonders. That's number one. Number two, you know, when you take the old rotor off and a vehicle that if you're going through and having warp issues with rotors, brake shake and so forth, you've got to dial indicate the hub. You've got to measure to see what runout is. Is the, is the hub true and straight to the angles of the vehicle itself, is it square, as I like to think of it in the back of my mind. That's that's number two. And then number three, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of cheap parts out there, and um, there are some issues with quality of parts, and a lot of things are made in China today. Just about everything's made in China. We're seeing a lot of brake rotors come in from China that, uh, you know, there's, but by the other side of the coin, there's there's good China, there's bad China. Um, I was just having this conversation with Tom before we did the show today. We were talking about quality of components. We had to look up a wiper motor, as a matter of fact, for his Escape. He needs a rear wiper motor for his Ford Escape that he's driving. And um, we referenced the MotorCraft piece, and we referenced a rebuilt piece out of the aftermarket. And the price point was so close. I said, Tom, you know, for the extra 8 bucks, the, the MotorCraft piece, even if it's made in China, is going to be what I consider to be in good China. Because typically if that part goes bad in a dealership, the dealership has to pay that mechanic to replace it if it's under warranty. Whereas if that part goes bad in the aftermarket, you know, they'll get a part for free, but they won't get labor. So there's a cost difference there that affects the aftermarket shop. And in my case, in my money, as a shop owner, I can tell you, like I said to Tom, I always try and put the best part on I can find within reason based on price point. Because if it does go bad, everything goes bad. Um, I don't want to get caught short where I've got to do a great deal of labor again, especially for free. That's a problem. And um, that's the way it's been in the aftermarket for many, many years. There is no no better answer than that. So as far as brand, uh, you know, Wagner, Raybestos, the name, the the national brands that are out there and have been out there for a long time. Delco Doorstop is a good line of brake component. And um, you know, be advised. And if anybody didn't realize it, um, you know those white box brake pads that are nine dollars—they make a great door stop, um, but that's about all. Because um, no, not for brakes, not for something that that is that important. I'm Ron in the Car Doctor, eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. We're back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and Indiana, the car doctor here at I'm going to drive Tony, my engineer, crazy with that today. How am I doing, Tony? Big thumbs up from the big man on the other side of the glass. Let's get over to line two. Talk to Jean from Lacrosse, Wisconsin, 2001 Chrysler Sebring and some oil light issues. Jean, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help?
4: Hi. Hi. Um, I have a, it's a 2002, I double checked. Okay. Sebring, um it only has 70,000 miles on it. And I love my car. It may be old, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a 2.7 engine in it. Um, I just got an oil change less than a month. After the oil change, all of a sudden the light started going on. Um, I double checked to make sure it wasn't leaking. I took it back to the mechanic. Um, he checked. It was not leaking. I just wanted to know some other options because he said the engine could be going. Right. I thought,
0: right. This is, this you know is a I two... mean,
4: it's only 70,000.
0: Gene, this is a 2.7 V6? Yep. Right, okay. All right. So, you know, the problem here could very well be oil pressure. And, yeah, what he's what he's describing is because the two sevens had sludge problems. Are you the original owner on the car from new?
4: um the lady that had it before me only had it less than a year right so okay I'm pretty much the main owner so,
0: so you you bought it from her in 2003 yep all right so you've had it all this time
4: yeah um
0: so in 12 years you've gone 60,000 miles
4: that's
0: it so you're doing four or five thousand miles a year or somewhere thereabouts that's
4: about it yep
0: how often are you changing the oil um, I try to change the oil um, every three thousand. Okay, how about how about by 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 time or is it just strictly?
4: Um, I just watch for th- every three thousand. Okay. I change it.
0: Here's a classic example of why you don't want to do that. All right, oil changes are meant to be done by time and by mileage. All right, on a car that's not driven long term, and I'm going to take a leap here and say. Do you drive long distances to work, or are you all short-trip driving?
4: Um, short-trip to right. work. I work every day, but, right. you know, five days a week, but is not it, very far.
0: You know, is it, you know, three to five miles to work, five to six miles to work? Yeah, yeah. about seven the
4: most. Dude. Right.
0: So how cold is it in, the, in Wisconsin today? mm
4: mm-hmm. Right now, it's beautiful right now. It's only, it's probably about 24 right now. So.
0: Okay. So when you start out to work in the morning, do you let it warm up or do you give it a couple of two-minute warm-up and just drive to work?
4: I let it warm up. I have a, my um, husband bought me one of those. Remote start things? <laughs> one, yep.
0: Yep. Okay. Okay.
4: The, so I let it warm up, and the engine light is not on when I get in the car. Right. It's when But it, I start driving, and then if I leave off on the gas, sometimes it goes on and it goes off. So it's not on all the time.
0: Okay. On the chance that this is a mechanical issue, meaning that the oil pump is restricted, the pickup... Um, you know, just the same way the, if the pool pump got restricted, it wouldn't pump water, or the sump pump got restricted, it wouldn't pump water. The oil pump pickup tube is restricted. Um, it won't pump oil. And what, what typically happens with the 2.7 Chrysler V6s is, is the screen gets restricted, and it gets sludged up, particularly on the vehicles that don't go a lot of miles. And it's, it's you know, what I'm going to say is a low frequency of oil changes then you're going to have this scenario happen. And it could be that it's just too much sludge in the engine. So the first thing the mechanic really needs to do is check oil pressure at idle with a mechanical gauge. All right? Yep, he
4: said he recommended that. Right. I just wanted to make sure.
0: Yeah, no, that's where you want to go. And you want to see where mechanical pressure is, not compression, mechanical oil pressure. And you want to see what oil pressure is at idle and match it up against specification. If it's low, if it's truly low, then the next thing I would do is either pop a valve cover off or look inside. Take the oil fill cap off and look inside. How clean or dirty is the engine? If it's sludged up, if it's sludged up on the top of the motor, then it's probably sludged up on the bottom of the motor. And then you've got two decisions. Do you try to run some sort of chemical or engine cleaner through it and do a couple of hot oil changes and try to unsludge it, or do you pull the oil pan down and try to clean it out from underneath? And that's, that's the mechanic's decision on the scene, and that's based on you know, how bad everything looks or doesn't look once you start looking around. Um, that's, that's, that's solution number one. Solution number two, it's a little, it's a little radical. All right. And I caution you on using this and I leave this up to the mechanic to decide because this can cause engine damage and problems. All right. Solution number two is to put a pint of brake fluid in the engine. Yep. You heard me say that right. All right. Put a pint of brake fluid in the engine crankcase. Don't drive the car, let it idle at the shop for a couple of three hours. And as long as the cooling system holds up, brake fluid is the most caustic material I can think of to put in an engine. And what we'll do is we'll let it run, we'll let it circulate, do a hot oil change, run fresh oil through it, do it again, do another hot oil change, and that usually cleans everything out. The caution here is this is the fail-safe. If you do this, you do stand the chance of ruining the engine. But, and here is the but, If the engine's already ruined from sludge and you have to take it apart, you haven't lost anything. And in a lot of cases, you have a lot to gain. So that's the, you know, you've got to take that gamble in your head and decide which way to go. Have the mechanic look at it. Make a sludge determination if it is sludge. Now, if oil pressure isn't low, if oil pressure is good... Then you've got to diagnose an electrical problem. Perhaps there's an issue with the sender or the light on the dash itself or the wiring harness, and the problem is not mechanical in the engine. The problem is electrical. So um, those are the two ways you've got to go. In the future, Gene, I'm going to tell you to change the oil at least twice a year, and I would be using a synthetic-based oil in this car because it'll help resist moisture and corrosion. I would tell you to get out to um, I would tell you to get out to Pennzoil.com and take a look at their line of synthetics, and you can read about synthetic oil and the benefit from that, and um, you know hopefully avoid this situation again. Call me back. Let me know what happens. I'm kind of concerned for you. I'm Ron Anani and Annie in the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Ron!
1: Highway, let me slip away on you. Welcome Every back. Ron highway.
0: Nini, and the car doctor, rolling along this hour at 855 560 9900. There you go, Tone. Hey, like that. I did zero again, huh? See, I can do that. I've got the mental preparedness to do that. We're talking about the phone number. Different conversation if you're late getting to the game today, folks, but that's okay. Let's go over to line one. Jesse, Eureka, California. I think i got to move to California. I'd love to be able to say where do you live. Eureka. Eureka, I've got it. Jesse, welcome to the car, doctor. How can I help?
5: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I have a uh, 95 uh, Toyota Tacoma, uh, 200,000 on it, and I put a fuel line on her a couple years back.
0: Just broken in. Go ahead.
5: Yeah, right. And uh, one year after the fuel pump was put in, when the 2.7 liter four-cylinder, excuse me, and uh, when you shut it off, say you're getting groceries, and you get back in the vehicle when it's warm, she cranks a few extra times. The other day, she's been cranking quite a few more times than it normally takes to fire that motor. Uh, on a cold day, she's fine all day. Right. But uh, you shut it off when it's warm, and she's got issues on it.
0: Any any sort of a fuel smell?
5: Big time coming in the cab. I, yeah, I forgot to mention. Uh, yeah. It smells like gas big time inside the vehicle, huge. Uh, she's fully insured, but... Uh, I'm kind of scared there a bit.
0: Well, yeah, I'd be scared because you're not insured. I mean, you might be insured, but, well, we don't want you to collect it or anybody else. Um, <laughs> we kind of want you to be around. Um, you know, I mean, is is the smell from the area of where the line is that you replaced up front, in the back?
5: Well, uh, yeah, what, what happened was when I lowered the fuel pump, uh, there's not a lot of room to work in there. Next time I'll take the bed off of any other rigs I do but there's like a water heater type of line that doesn't like to be lowered too far. Right. And when I lowered it too far to, to to work in there, it kinked it. So I replaced it with a couple feet of the high dollar, uh, rubber hose from the parts house, a high pressure rated for fuel injection, you know, and threw a few extra clamps on there when I put the new pump back in, because I didn't want to re-bend that, that hard line. Sure. Sure. And, uh, the fuel smell didn't happen till a year later.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, listen, and not knocking it, but it doesn't matter if it happened a year later or two years later. You still got it. Is the smell from the area of the tank in the back, or is the smell from the area up front?
5: Well, you know, I can't smell. I can't tell because we're in the vehicle, cranking it over, trying to uh, trying to get the hell out of there. So, uh, right.
0: well, what if you got yeah. out? You know, what, what if you started it and got out and just let it run? Smell is smell. It's got to be somewhere. Um, You know, it, it, it's, yeah, right. it's it's just using your uh, nose. I mean, listen, if we were at the shop, what I'd do is I'd have somebody start it up, and I'd be outside the vehicle with a five-gas probe if I couldn't tell direction with my nose, and I would just take the five-gas probe, and I would just probe around the truck looking to see where it picks up the strongest readings of hydrocarbons, hydrocarbons being raw fuel. At least it gives me a direction to go. Um, I know, it, you know, I mean, that would be the easiest. Obviously, I'm not saying everybody's got a five gas in their backyard, um, you know, but uh, actually I do. But that's another story. Um, uh, you know, I get it. I mean, you know, listen, I wouldn't want to have to drop the gas tank again unless I really had to. But, you know, there's there's no other way you're going to approach this. Uh, just be careful. Don't uh, don't be near anybody with a lit match or a cigarette because, um you know. Obviously, somebody might cash in on the life insurance, and I don't want to see that happen to any of my listeners or anybody else, for that matter. So let's get on to uh, let's get on to line two, Milton in New Orleans, and see what's going on. Two thousand seven Hyundai, Milton. Welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help?
3: Hi, how are you doing?
0: Good, sir. What's uh, going on?
3: It's uh, just it's been a process of elimination. Uh, it uh, only overheats when the AC is on, and it only does it when you stop for five or ten minutes uh and uh just recently i uh got out when this happened and, and i looked at the uh, uh the fans and i could see them turning very slowly okay and after watching for another half a minute then they stopped so uh naturally i got back in and shut the car off uh, uh and uh, uh then when I started again, I just drove a couple blocks and then it was fine. Right. So uh, obviously something's wrong. It's causing the fans to sometimes work and sometimes not work.
2: Okay. Let me ask you uh, this: Do you have and, a check? Do
4: you
0: have a check engine light on, Milton? Check engine light
3: only comes on when the AC is on, uh, and it's hot. Okay. Uh, if it's cool weather, it doesn't come on.
0: All right. Did you check for a fault code?
3: Uh, yes, they did, and it indicated something with the AC, but it wasn't really clear. I mean, we, we all right. uh, when the guy checked it, uh, uh, he, he wasn't sure.
0: Let's get some clarity. Here's why, all right? If you come back and tell me this is a P0480, that's a code for the fan circuit, the cooling fan controller. Um, P, P via PC. P, P as in Peter, 0480.
3: 480, four, yes, okay. Sir.
0: Yes, sir. Um, P- P0480. If it's got a P0480, that's a fault in the fan circuit. And that is probably leading us towards a bad cooling fan control module assembly. No guarantee, but it's the general uh-huh. neighborhood. All right? Uh-huh. That, that being said, if the check engine light has nothing to do with the overheat, and I was treating this as just a straight mechanical, gee, the car is overheating, Um, If this is an older vehicle, this is, you know, this is an 07, it's eight years old, it's probably got a couple of miles on it. I always tell everybody, Mm -hmm. a lot of people start to think radiator, they want proof. I tell them, take a look at the front of the radiator, all right? How clean is it? How clean is the AC condenser, all right? You've got to realize that there's not a lot of swept area up front for airflow to go through. If that radiator has started to blister the paint and i've seen this on dozens if not more of what i'll call foreign cars toyota's honda's Hyundais, kia's they all do the same thing the paint blisters lifts off the fin all right if it's a if it's a painted radiator ah. and it will it will restrict airflow if it restricts airflow 3% spread over the face of the radiator multiply it out all of a sudden you're cutting heat dissipation off that car will overheat every time. Everybody looks inside the radiator and says, "Hey, the radiator's clean." You know what? How's the outside of the radiator? Um, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that's it. I'm just trying to get your brain going in a different direction. So here's the remedy: got to get the mechanic to scan it for codes. We've got to understand why the check engine light's coming on. If it's not a 480 fault code, let's diagnose that as well. If it's a straight mechanical overheat having nothing to do with the fan controller. Then we've got to diagnose that. But take a look at the outside of the radiator as well as the inside. Call me back next week. You know where to find me. That number is eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron Anning in the Car Doctor, and I'll be right back. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back, Ron and the, the Car Doctor. So, uh, we've been talking off and on, you and I, about connected vehicles, right? Connected technology, the uh, how the car is going to be tied to the cloud, and so on and so forth. Interesting article in Motor Magazine uh, a couple of months back. Now, I was reading it because I'm just getting around to my mail from three months ago because. There's a few things going on in some cases. Intelligent connected technologies coming to select 2017 Cadillacs. Cadillac will begin offering advanced intelligent and connected vehicle technologies on certain 27 model 2017 model year vehicles was announced by GM CEO Mary Barra at the recent ITS World Congress in Detroit. In about two years, an all-new 2017 Cadillac will offer customers an advanced driver assist technology at the moment called Super Cruise, and in the same time frame, the Cadillac CTS will be equipped with vehicle-to-vehicle communication technology. What does this mean to you and I? Well, in this case, Super Cruise automated driving technology. We're, talking, we're always talking and having this argument here on The Car Doctor about, you know, hands-off driving. Super Cruise automated driving technology will offer customers a new type of experience that includes hands-off lane following, braking, speed control in certain highway driving conditions. The system is designed to increase the comfort of attentive drivers on freeways, both in bumper-to-bumper traffic and on long trips. Vehicle-to-vehicle communication technology will mitigate many traffic collisions and improve traffic congestion by sending and receiving basic safety information. It's coming, folks. I know we keep having this argument that it's not, but trust me, it's coming, and we've all got to be ready for it. Me on my side of the counter at the toolbox and you on the steering wheel side. Hey, this hour is kind of come and gone as fast Harry would say. Whew. Where does the time go? Till the next one. The mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya.